Welcome to today's Wasden Speaker Series. Today is coaching at the intersection of culture, race, and influence. We've got a couple of special guests. We are awfully grateful to Tom and Susie Wasden, who have sponsored this series that highlights the UF Department of Health and Human Service, Health, Health and Human Performance with respect to the research, education, and industry partnerships that are cutting edge that are taking place. We're also grateful today that the Department of Sports Management at the University of Florida has helped coordinate all this. We've got a couple of terrific guests, and I'm going to cut right to those. Coach David Fisdale is with us. Coach Fisdale is a two-time NBA head coach. He's also a two-time NBA champion. He coached the Memphis Grizzlies to a 50-51 and 51 record over a couple of seasons, including a playoff appearance. Also coached the New York Knicks over a couple of seasons. And then beyond that, he spent over a decade with the Miami Heat as an assistant coach and an associate head coach. He also was with the Atlanta Hawks and the Golden State Warriors as an assistant. He cut his teeth in the college ranks at Fresno State and then also at his alma mater at the University of San Diego. Coach, thanks very much for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We've also got Steve Stowe. Steve has been with the Miami Heat for 21 years. Steve is the Vice President and Executive Director of the Miami Heat Charitable Fund, and he supports the players and coaches in their philanthropic endeavors and is a support to that. And so, Steve, we thank you very much for your time as well and for being a part of this. Thank you. Now, for those of you who watch, who are watching, you might have caught that they're both, um, they both overlapped with the Miami Heat. They both overlapped with a couple of championships there. And so it's not just happenstance that they're here together. They actually have known each other for a long time. And we really do appreciate that you guys uh, are joining us and are joining us together. Thanks so much for doing that. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah. You guys go back a long way with, I would guess, some pretty good memories, probably some tough times as well, but some pretty good memories. Yeah, so I'm the gator. I'm the gator of the bunch you know, <laughs> which is, is why we're here. Um, but yeah, I actually uh, had the opportunity to meet Coach Fisdale even before I was at the Heat. A lot of people don't realize this, but I worked for the Florida Panthers in the NHL when uh, Coach was with the Miami Heat at the Miami Arena, and we overlapped there. We shared the same arena. Uh, there was hockey nights in South Florida, and then obviously the Miami Heat played at the same arena. And uh, being a native of Miami and Miami Beach, snow and ice didn't really uh, uh, work well for me. So I kind of ventured off to the video room to watch the NBA games because at that time, I don't want to date ourselves, but there were no cell phones that, you know, there wasn't a way to keep up with all the NBA action. And the only way for me to see what was going around around, around the association was to sneak into the video room. And that's that's where we met. Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, those are those were easier times. Uh, when you were just a grunt and an intern and, you know, trying to find our way in the world. But when you meet certain people along your journey you, and you just know that they're going to be there the whole time. And Stowe and I and Eric Spolstra, we, when we all met, uh, I think we all knew it was going to be for life. And uh, it's pretty much lived up to that. Fantastic. Well, here you are decades later meeting over the Internet via Gainesville and all other parts. So thank you very much for being a part of this and, and thanks so much. For Steve, sure. we'll talk to you in a little bit. I'm gonna start with Coach. All right. All right. So Coach, we're gonna talk about coaching, 
culture, the culture of sports and the fact that, you know, in a lot of ways, sports is at the cutting edge of a lot of things that happen in our culture. But at the same time, sports also falls prey to so much of the things we suffer as a culture with. And so I wanted to delve into a couple of those. First, though, if you don't mind, I'm, you know, I'm a former attorney or recovering attorney, as some might say. <laughs> um, now I'm an author and a speaker. So so I've learned words matter. Being precise yeah. matters. Um, you know, we talk in terms of minority coaches, but the fact is that a lot of, you know, people of color form the majority of players in a lot of these sports leagues. Is there a preferred term? Is there something we should use as, as far as this conversation? <sighs> I, you know, I, I go through this so often when, it, when we start talking about labels. Um, and, and I think where I'm at personally, and I'm sure I may even receive criticism for this, but I think the idea of labels have gotten us where we are in trouble. Um, I think culturally us labeling ourselves is different. Um, you know, minority versus majority, all of these different things that separate us is as I get older, I'm realizing is really the big problem. And so, mm -hmm. um, but if you want to call it something, I would say probably minority coaches because you, I include women in that, you know, transgender, you know, people of color, all of those folks fall under the umbrella of the minority to uh, to access, uh, if, if you will. And, and the NBA situation with coaches is just a microcosm, like you said, of what's taking place in everyday society. Great. Okay, fantastic. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your heart and where you're coming from. And so <laughs> we'll navigate with that as our uh, as our beacon. So let me ask you this. You're with the Grizzlies for two years. Obviously, a lot going on with the Grizzlies ownership front office during that time. It was an interesting place. Um, you make the playoffs your first year. You've got a winning record in the regular season. You make the playoffs your first year. You take it to six games. Then you're in year two. You're five games under 500, and, and you're done. Rug gets pulled out from under you. Are minority coaches held to a higher standard, whether it's being retained, whether it's being hired? Is there a different is there a different standard, do you think? Yeah, right now there is a different standard. And I think the 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 biggest issue right now is is what we're facing is I just think it's it's human nature to, to feel comfortable with what we consider people we know, people that we're accustomed to being around, to entrust something uh that's big uh to someone you know that you don't know or doesn't reflect necessarily what you what you feel comfortable with culturally uh what you feel comfortable with 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 uh your everyday life um that is i think in the midst of all of this and so whether it's coaches being hired or whether it's coaches being fired quickly i think it's the fear of I'm giving this to somebody who I really don't understand, who I may not know very well, who I don't really totally get well, where he's coming from. And so the, the, the trigger to, to, to just make that, that knee jerk reaction is you see it happening a lot with coaches of color. Uh, and you even see it in ultimately the hiring where they just say, you know what, he's a good coach. He's got a great resume. He's got all of this stuff. But I'm going to go with this guy that I know. You just saw it happen in Minnesota with the Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. David Vanderpool is the top assistant. 
associate head coach, was brought there basically out of Portland to be that guy. Uh, Ryan Saunders gets fired, and they go during season, instead of giving David Vanderpool an opportunity to just be a coach for the rest of the season to see what he can do, mm-hmm. they go and get a guy uh, from another team. And, I, and, and look, hats off to Coach Finch. I'm glad he's got the gig. But the process in which they went about it, immediately that gives you a direct example of the fear that ah really when there's nothing to be lost at the end of a season that you're not going to make the playoffs in anyway so yes that's there (laughs) yeah well and and you use the word process it was it was about 24 hours i'm not even sure there was a process but but yes that was a specific example but after a while you start to add up some of these examples and you think you know what this may be something broader uh one of the things you talked about people you know people so I think we, to me anyway, and I come from an NFL background. I worked for the Jaguars, worked for the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. uh, spent some time in the league. So, so some of my questions may come from an NFL background, but I think they have a lot of the same issues. They overlap. Yeah. So, so one of the things I saw was owners were willing to some extent uh, to hire an unknown Andy Reid, right? We all scratched our heads and went, who is this guy when the Eagles hired him? <laughs> an offensive line coach from, and he's been great. And then they hire Mike Sherman, another guy none of us had heard of. And then this year they hire Nick Sirianni. Um, again, it's and you almost get the feeling that at times owners are willing to turn over some rocks, whereas it, I don't always see that. The Texans hired David Culley, who we, you know, didn't see on all the lists and the like. So, um, but but you don't see that as much. Do you think? Do you think that? Owners are kind of looking at some of those things or willing to take the time and, and go through a process to find candidates that maybe they don't know or or are on all the lists. Well, I think the the awareness of it now is starting to put it in front of owners in a way that whether they like it or not, they're going to have to look at some of these guys. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of my African-American colleagues and, and women and different people who are fighting for these interviews and opportunities uh, you don't want to just get the opportunity because you are what they call the other, mm-hmm. right? It should just be, I'm really good at this. But at the end of the day, I think if you have to force the hand of ownership to at least take the look at take a look at these people, like the Rooney rule and mm-hmm. things like that, uh, then that's what we have to do until we start getting more people in ownership positions that are much more aware of the talent beyond culture, beyond color, beyond gender, all of this stuff. There's just good coaches and talent out there and they need to open themselves up uh, to a variety of that. Cause we all know, like, I mean, look, it's, it's no secret diversity within your walls creates a better home, creates a better building, creates a, 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 a plethora of ideas and backgrounds and, and, and viewpoints and just, it makes everything better. And so whether whether they like it or not, it's the same that, that what happened when uh, African-Americans were allowed to actually participate in pro sports. They didn't like it at first, but boy, when they started playing, it was like, sure looks good when we winning, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so right. Things, things with pressure, things when they're pushed to the extreme and squeezed, eventually that creates change. And hopefully what's happening now is creating that change. Mm-hmm. Well, let me follow up a little bit on that. I had a law school professor say one time that he believed in diversity for diversity's sake, which I think is is valuable and meritorious, meritorious on his face. 
But I think you also alluded to the fact that there are actually benefits, right? I mean, to the extent that everybody in the room thinks like I do, comes from the place I come from. Disaster. I I don't know that we're going to connect to players as well. I don't know that we're going to come up with schemes as well or whatever it may be. Um, so to some extent, um, are we even looking at some of the right factors? Um, I had an owner one time, an NFL owner one time say, um, but you got to understand hiring a head coach is so much different than hiring a CEO in a business. And, and, and the thought was, well, wait a minute, you're hiring in, a, in your businesses, which are worth billions, literally billions of dollars. You can identify talent. You can identify somebody who can sort through issues quickly. You can identify somebody who's a great leader who can motivate people, but they think, oh, I just really want to run so-and-so's offense, or I just right. really want to, you know, have a, or, do they look at the right factors when they talk about those, those things? I think the only thing that really gets in the way is stereotypes, right? Yeah. And so the stereotype that's out there, that's always been out there about the African-American which is be is I've never understood it is that they're lazy or they won't be prepared or they won't be on time or they won't. And it's like, you know, where it comes from, I don't know. But at the end of the day, when you have that in the back of your mind and you're, you're, you're putting your candidates through filters and the filters aren't the same, you may not even know that you're using that filter, but that filter is often there. And until you have personal awareness that this happens and that you think of this stuff and that it creeps in, um, you know, the one thing I always said is I hated the fact that when I first started really getting recognized as a head coach was he's a player's coach. Well, if I translate that to me, that's he speaks black. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, because 75% of the league is African American, but why am I not an offensive tactician or this? You know, like I remember, and I know he hates this, but Brad Stevens was being called the genius. Mm -hmm. Well, why is Brad Stevens the genius, and this guy is this guy, and this guy? Like, so it's like that's how they 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 you know again those labels end up pulling us into a direction where it limits us. I heard a, a great saying that uh, when you label me, you negate me. And mm. it's the truth. And it's, it's in everything we do. And I think that is really what's holding coaches back from the standpoint. Like a, like Becky Becky uh, down in San Antonio, yeah. she should yeah. be a head coach. But we keep saying, oh, it's a woman head coach, a woman head coach in a man's sport. And those labels is limiting what you see in front of you, which is an incredible basketball brain. If you took gender out of it, she'd be in the top one percentile of basketball understanding IQ, all of the stuff that's that's there. So until we can really get folks to look at people beyond what they stereotypically know about people and what these mm -hmm. these preconditions, these prejudices that uh, whether they like it or not, they carry them, um, you know, the progress will be very slow. Yeah. Like uh, Jenny Buczek in Dallas, an actual two-time head coach, right, in the WNBA. And now he's, um, no, you've got a lot of talent out there. And I think people do filter it through, okay, well, she, she's doing this or he's doing that. And that's kind of, and they can't project it into something they're familiar with. Um, right. Going back to labels, one of the things that used to frustrate me, I, I, got to work closely with Tony Dungy and now I've written several books with Tony and Tony is 
I mean, he truly is unbelievably nice. But that oh. was his label. And that's a great right. label to have. Look, if people called, you know, if people were like, hey, look, Nathan's really nice. And there's no chance anybody would ever say that. But if they did, that'd be great. But but Belichick was the genius, right? Or others. And Tony was nice. And he was, you know, and Tony was a player's coach. He got I connect. He connects. He connects. <laughs> Whereas Tony had, Tony had a bunch of really stringent rules that I saw other coaches who would bend things for stars or they would treat guys differently. And I'm like, wait, why is Tony the player's coach? When he's making Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, whatever, toe the line in a way that – but anyway, so I, I'll go down the rabbit hole. You've but, seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been on a – I was on in the coach's box listening to Tony one time. A coach said, hey, why don't we run – why don't we do X you know, with our tight end? And Tony said, don't you remember six years ago against the Lions? We tried that same thing, and here's what they did. And the coaches are all going, what? We don't remember any of this. So <laughs> – Talk about smart. Tony was smart, but of course he was, he was the nice guy. Nice guy. Yeah. Which is good. But yeah, he yeah, kind of got put in that moment. But I think sometimes people don't get it. They, most people on the surface will say, but he's a nice guy. What's the big deal? Right. The big deal is when people start hiring and they start putting people in these boxes mm-hmm. and all of a sudden those boxes limit you from moving into higher positions that's a big issue. That's why we are where we are. And we got to stop putting each other in these boxes every day. We all do it to each other. But when you're talking about people that are actually doing that, who have the, 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 the wherewithal, the, the impact to change, mm-hmm. we have to get those folks out of the box to stop doing it. Cause that's, they're, they're the, they're the key holders. And so ownership to teams, uh, you know, CEOs, people that own these great businesses, things like that. We got to get them to, mainly to stop putting people in these boxes. Yeah, totally. Amen. So, one of the things with the Rooney Rule, as I understand it, was that it was initially designed to try to slow down the process, to give people a chance to go through a process, to find people that maybe they didn't know, weren't as comfortable with, weren't as familiar with, interview them, talk to them, learn about them. You know, it 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 may or may not have worked over the years, and it seems like in recent years it right. has not worked very well to, to at least right. slow down the process. Um, now there's now there's draft pick compensation if you hire a minority coach, you get or a general manager, you you get an extra draft pick. Um, any thoughts on on that kind of scheme as far as as a way to open doors or get people to to change their hiring process or? I mean, the fact that we're at the place where you have to reward basic equality, (laughs) basic equity, right? You got to get, you got to reward a team for doing it. And it's like, it's, it's a, uh, it's an unfortunate necessity, I think. Um, You know, again, I don't think any, if you go down the line and ask any African-American assistant coach, do they want to get the interview because they're black to a, to a man or a woman, they're going to say, hell no. I want the interview because I'm good at what I do. I've coached, I've developed great players. I've, I've learned from the best. I won whatever it may be. And uh, you know, that's what you've always been taught. If you work your way up and you do it the right way, then you're rewarded for that. And that's, but the last thing you ever wanted was to be the, we don't want the recognition uh, of our, our culture through charity, through Mm -hmm. handouts, 
blocks, through uh, through passes. We don't we don't want that. That's not what we want. All we want is to get a fair shot at the opportunity. Can you just give us a clean look at the body of work that's being produced and you know look beyond uh, you know whatever you've been raised to look at or see without looking, right? All of those things we see without necessarily looking anymore. We just walk into it already with these judgments, these ideas about people. This we all do it. We all do it. And so uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's it's necessary. And then once we get in there, you know, you'll hopefully that a few more guys continue to go get in there and do a great job and have success. Um, and, and then maybe that opens the door to more change. Um, you know, so we you just gotta, but either way, we gotta keep. Bob Marley had a great song about uh, the small acts, <laughs> mm. right? <laughs> chopping down the big tree. Uh, and so we got to be the small acts and we just got to keep chopping at it till we get that tree to fall. Yeah. Well, thank you. I hadn't, I hadn't appreciated Bob Marley coming into our conversation, but uh, it's good to come <laughs> through wherever we get it. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. The, I mean, in some ways it almost seems like, um, it almost seems, I don't know if unfair is the right word, but just thinking in the NFL, part of me is thinking, can you imagine hiring Mike Tomlin and getting a draft pick or Tony Dungy and you get a draft pick or Ozzie Newsom? And I mean, on the one hand, that would be totally unfair to the rest of the league. I mean, the Ravens would say, you got to be kidding me. We're going to get one of the best <laughs> general managers ever in Ozzie Newsom and you're going to give us draft picks. Um, but, but then I, then I worry on the flip side, if that ties into the, or it could potentially tie into the retention piece when you run into some tough times and somebody goes, okay, you know what? We, we tried your process. We took the draft pick and sure enough, instead of, you know, the coach who gets extra time, who, who they're looking at, Hey, we're totally tearing up the culture. We're starting over. These things take time to work its way through the locker room, to work its way through the front office. It's not enough to change the culture in the locker room, right? You got to change right. it throughout the organization. And a coach might not get that same time if somebody's looking at it going, well, I got rewarded for it, right? I hired him because of X, Y, and Z or her. Um, yeah, I just think, yeah. I, you know, not to cut you off, but I just think ultimately mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like you can change the law. You can change rules. You can change all of this stuff to try to make things happen, but it's not going to change people's hearts. And, and that only happens from, you know, from within. That happens through your own personal suffering or your own personal awakenings. And, you know, and that's why I say it's, it's, it does work both ways. It does cut both ways. Um, you know, it does. When anyone feels pushed into doing something, what are they going to do? They usually resist. Mm -hmm. Resistance just ends up mounting into something that, no one really wants and so i just i just feel like at the end of the day um uh, you know until we get these folks to really get outside of this the this way of thinking um we can change all of the rules and make them get you can get picks you cannot get picks you can because this think about it if you're a kind of if, if you're the owner of a team who's like to hell with that i'm hiring a white guy I don't give a damn what I don't need a pick. Mm -hmm. I'm hiring a white guy. Right. Right. Like what is a pick? Like who cares? Like if that guy is that you talking about, you talking about people who, who identify themselves as elite. 
You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm worth billions of dollars. This is mm-hmm. a toy to me, this team. You think you telling me you're going to give me a pick is going to change my whole view of the world and I'm all of a sudden going to hire a black guy when I feel better about hiring a white guy? Or I have preconceived notions of how this black guy is and how he's going to work. and all. That's not going to move anything. It's not going to change anything. But it's unfortunate to bring light to the conversation. You have to keep doing things like this. And we have to, it keeps this conversation going. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question about if I, if I, if I were somebody in an underrepresented group looking to get into sports, looking to progress in coaching and the like, um, you know, one of the things that I heard come up uh, at a coach's gathering one time was was it, it was in the college uh, realm, the specifics of it. But but talking about how there a lot of coaches, a lot of college coaches have an assistant slot that they set aside for a recruiter. And so often it's somebody of color. Right. Because they figures, all right, we're going to you know, you can go and recruit in a place that I can't and whatever. And players coach. Recruiter, recruiter equals players coach. <laughs> right. Right. Equals speaks black. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Same so, thing. Yeah. So you've got this. So now you've been pigeonholed if you're a coach, right? I mean, I think you're probably going to take the job because you're like, hey, okay, I'll, you know, it's a slot. It's a oh, yeah. uh, Shaka, Shaka Smart um, said, somebody asked him that question. And Shaka said, you know, I think you absolutely take the job, even if you suspect that's what's going on. But in your interview, you say, I want to have a hand in the offense. I fully expect to be scouting, you know, a third of the opponents or whatever the regular breakdown is and whatever. And and I'm going to take this job because I trust you to train me to become a head coach and help put me in those positions. And Shaka said the danger, you know, it's easy to get pigeonholed. And so you've got to not push. I mean, he, it wasn't exactly push back. I mean, he's like, you don't want to be the, that guy on staff who's, but he's like, you've got to be intentional about knowing that that label is out there yeah. and saying, I'm not going to be labeled. You know, you've, you've, I need opportunities here. And that's it. Like at the end of the day, like I spoke to a bunch of uh, NFL assistant coaches and, and, you know, my biggest advice to him was, look, at the end of the day, you can't turn down anything but your collar. You got to take every job they give you. Like if it's there, you got to take it. I don't care where it is. If it's in Siberia and it's going it's to get you to where you need to be, you got to go. Uh-huh. And once you get in the door, you have to do the job, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to say, let me work with you on the offense. Guess what? At 2 in the morning, I'm putting together an edit that's going to show you everything that we've been doing wrong and I'm going to hand it to you and I'm going to leave it with you. And I'm going to go back to doing the job you hired me to do. And I'm going to just keep doing that until you finally say, man, this guy knows his stuff. This guy knows this. I need to give him more responsibility here. I need to give him more of that. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to win. Right. right. So it doesn't it doesn't really serve a head coach to be the person to pigeonhole that guy. Uh-huh. If this guy has the talent to be really good in all areas, right? It's going to help that coach win games. If he can develop players, if he can scout other teams, if he knows uh, crafty out of timeout plays, like that you want all of that. So the problem is, is that coach can get all of that right there 
The problem lies in when it's time for that coach to speak on behalf of that assistant. What does he say to the people that are hiring? Mm -hmm. Does he say he's a hell of a recruiter? He's a player's coach. Or does he say, I'm telling you, this guy is the best offensive mind I've worked with in years. The way he can, can strategize, the way he disrupts, the way he does this, the way words matter. Mm-hmm. And so when and that's and I beat the I beat our NBA head coaches over the head with this. When we do our coaches meetings and stuff like that, I tell them all the time, if we keep saying this is important to us, how you describe all of us matters. And mm-hmm. so when you're in the room with people or you're on the phone with people that are going to make these decisions, your terminology must be on point. And so uh, I think that's where the breakdown happens. Uh, cause I've seen guys allowed to do the work, but at the end of the day, I look at my friend Jamal Mosley in, in Dallas for the Mavericks. They keep calling him a player's coach cause Luka Doncic likes him because you know, all of the guys like him. This guy's one of the best defensive coaches in the league. He's worked under the greatest defensive minds ever, but they never talk about it. And so it's yeah. like, you know, I see what I, I'm watching it from afar over and over. And so a lot of talent and a lot of uh, guys are being uh, left left behind right now. And, you know, hopefully we can get that to open up. Yeah. Well, we're, it's funny. We've come back full circle to words matter and and paying attention to the words <laughs> we use and, and, uh, and making sure if we do have to use labels, the ones we use are constructive and, uh, mm. and are positive and adding to uh, to their quality. Um, let me ask you one other question. You know, we, we, we experienced, um, when Tony got to Indianapolis, experienced him playing Levy Smith in the Super Bowl and the fact that one of them was going to become the first African-American coach to, to win a Super Bowl and, and, you know, the positives that were, were from that. But then you also hear coaches talk about the burden of, you know, there's only X number of underrepresented head coaches and whatever. And, and that feeling of, I need to do well. And these are really hard jobs in the first place. They're very lonely jobs in the first place. And now I've got to represent an entire underrepresented group. Um, do you, did, is that something you felt? Is that real? And, and how did you deal with that? There, it is a real thing. Um, I think that as I got started to move through it, I, and I'm still not there yet, I hope I'm getting better at it, but I think you really got to learn how to detach from all of that responsibility and that that burden and the labels of it. And you just got to be able to step away from that to do the job. But it's very hard and it's easily it's easy to get wrapped up in that mm-hmm. because of the lack of representation. Um, you know, and and again, like you said, it cuts two ways. There's a huge it's so many different sides of it because you got here it is. You got this coach who feels this this heavy burden to, to carry this torch for a whole race. Uh, but then on the flip side of it, you, there are some, and I would be too. I mean, I, I don't know how I would feel about it, but there are some some uh, white coaches who feel like, but I'm really good. And and why does he deserve a shot before I deserve a shot? And I wasn't a part of what happened in history. And I'm just a young guy trying to make it too. And so, and I, I empathize with that. I get it. And I think that's, you know, where we, if we can just get to that place where it's a level ground of empathy and understanding and a, and a reconciliation with what has happened, 
I think we can finally, finally start to see that change happen that we're looking for. But, you know, as a young black assistant, yeah, I felt that burden uh, as a young as a young black head coach. I mean, I felt that burden in Memphis more than any time because a lot of stuff. That's when Charlottesville happened. Mm. Uh, we had statues in Memphis that we were trying to get taken down. Uh, you know, this is where Dr. King was assassinated. Mm. And it was just it was heavy. And here I am. Uh, you know, young black head coach coaching the, the local sports team and I'm in the middle. Like, damn, I, do I do I step out there and risk my career? Because I know that grudges have been held, held against black men who have voiced, you know, their mm-hmm. opinion in this. Muhammad Ali and Colin Kaepernick and a lot of people have had their careers, you know, put on hold or sabotaged because they spoke mm-hmm. up. And here I am in the South and in this situation and I'm like, oh, crap. But I think ultimately when you're in these moments of, of social activism or you're being called to something, I think if you can always just take your ego out of it and make the decision based on what's right and what's good, I think you always end up in the right place. And I just made the decision back then that I'm going to be active and do it for the right reasons, not because it makes me look like I'm super active and I'm conscious and I'm aware, but like people are suffering because of this stuff and and can it just bring us closer together as a society? And when your goals are right going into that stuff, I think ultimately the the output is good. Uh Okay. Well, perfect. And that's a, if we could bring Steve in at this point, I actually have a, I think this is, I'd love to have you both on this. I think there's a, as we transition to some of the issues on influence that Steve can speak on. One of the things that I think you both could talk to is, you know, the, the Miami Heats um, are going to go up to play in Minneapolis on Friday. We've got the George Floyd trial going on with the defense case right now. We've got the the unrest, the protests that are going on in Minneapolis. Steve and, and, and Coach both, what role do the club – what role does the club play along with maybe any outsourced organizations who can partner to help coaches and to help players – as they try to find their voice. I mean, as coach said, you know, at some point I'm just trying to win games, but I've also got this broader lens now of, oh my gosh, this just happened yesterday. What do I do? And, and I've heard college coaches say, you know, last summer they're being expected to come out with tweets or, or statements or whatever. And they, they're like, I don't even know where to start. Um, how can that be a partnership? And, and what do you guys think as far as a way to, to move forward um, in some of those areas? Like what Coach Fisdell mentioned earlier um, and, and listening to him is, is just so uplifting, um, you know, using the word labels and, and talking about, you know, limiting your belief when, when you label something. What's going on right now in, in uh, Minnesota um, is a fluid situation. What's happened in Virginia this past week um, is something that, you know, a lot of us realize it's bigger than basketball and there's a human element to this you know we're all hurting um daily you know just dealing with some of the after effects and and ongoings of the pandemic but you know i'm cautiously optimistic that i think through this all that everybody has had an opportunity to evolve as a human being and when it comes to coaching, you know, it's hard enough, like you heard coach talk about, it. it's it's hard enough, whatever sport you're in, to coach. Coaching alone has its challenges that that none of us know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it's something that I don't envy those positions because um, not only are you dealing with the human element 
on the court or on the field, you know, you're, you're dealing with wins and losses. And, and in addition to that, there's never going to be a time to take for granted the human aspect and the human relationships and just relationships in general. So I think what coach uh, Fizdale was saying and um, coaches having to deal with traveling uh, limitations now due to COVID health and safety protocols, a lot of things that go into uh, coaching that people, you know, fans probably don't understand that if a coach wants to practice at 10, but maybe the COVID test is not available till one and the coach can't practice at 10 and you can't inconvenience a player for waiting around for a test. And so, so there's, there's really no uh, happy solution right now that you're going to please everybody. And, and I'm no coach, but I know that it's not a thing being a coach. You can't please everybody. Mm -hmm. So now more than ever is really a hard time, especially with what's going on in different markets. And I, you know, to piggyback what Steve is saying, I think, you know, when we see all of this stuff happening and you're going into a place where, you know, maybe you're playing there or I remember with the Trayvon Martin stuff happened, you know, I thought what was really great about what that team did is, and I think what I've always tried to do as coaches is you, you educate your players on what's happening and you leave it up to them what, you know, what they really think they want to do. You know, we're not talking about young kids here. These guys are men and and adults and they got families and they got. And so what I've always tried to do is, is educate them on what's happening and then saying, OK, well, what do we want to do? And if we can, let's try to all do it together. And that's what we did in Miami uh, with the Trayvon Martin deal. We all, all the guys put on their hoodies and took a big a, a picture. It was it was silence. It was stoic. And it really sent it brought a lot of attention to the to the moment. And I remember being in Memphis when uh, I was getting grilled uh, about the questions of if my team was going to kneel. Mm. And uh, I said, well, this is what we're going to do. I guarantee you one thing. We're going to learn everything we need to know before we make any decision. And I guarantee you one thing. If my team kneels, I'm going down with them. And, oh, my God, you would have thought I had said, like, you know, let's blow up California or something. It was like, you know, war. I mean, the media just and it just they fed on it and all. That. I got I got backlash from sponsors. I got all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, I felt like by sitting down with our team and saying, OK, here's the deal. If you kneel. Here's the possible repercussions. Went through all of that. I brought in our marketing people. I brought in our charitable fund people like Steve Stowe and like really had them talk to him about what that was. And then I brought in different members of our military. And I had them talk about what that meant to them. And if it, and to a man and a woman of the military, to, you know, to my surprise, every one of them said, this is what we fight for is for you to be able to protest that way. Now, I could have been other military people I brought in that might have said something different. These was the people that I had access to that I knew. I just brought them in. I said, don't hold back. Tell them how you feel about it one way or another. Mm -hmm. Once we cleared all those people out, the guys got together. They said, you know what? We're going to decide not to kneel, but we're going to impact this issue in a different way. And we're going to attack it from the standpoint of bringing police and the community together and bring attention to it through something beautiful. And I was with them the whole way. And, but I think at the end of the day, the key to it, when you're dealing with a team 
and you're dealing with moments like this, real moments of tension and frustration and, and social issues, education is the ultimate key to all of these things and really giving your team, trying to get your team to be empathetic to all parties involved. And then I think once you do that and they make their decisions, you live with the decision from there. Mm-hmm. Now that education piece seems important and all that. And let me, yeah. let me just continue with the two of you for a second. And, and Steve, I, I, I want to ask you, you focus a lot of your efforts on the off court stuff. One of the recent things you've done um, in Miami is the partnership with the Miami Dade police and the dedication to community organization, which I know well through my friend Q Williams and, and the like, but if you don't mind talk a little bit about that and things that can happen off the court that can impact the community and and also be a part of you know back to what coach is talking about be a part of what coaches and players are are trying to accomplish as well or at least whether or not they're trying to accomplish they're they're caught in a larger culture right and and how do i navigate that and what do i do as part of this culture so you know coach fisdell will, will feel my passion through this you know i've been with the team almost 22 years uh, we've done a lot of things together even i've had you know the joy of, of giving back to this community so much shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with coach. Um, there's nothing more important uh, in the history of the Miami heat than what we're doing right now. And I, and I, and I will hold that up to anything. Uh, this is the most important thing we've ever done. We're, we're saving lives through this program. This actually started, I was a brainchild of mine. Uh, when coach talked about um, Trayvon, when Trayvon happened, um, mm. I brought this up and it, it, it probably wasn't the right, you know, environment for me at the time to, to, to host this and to, and to bring this to the forefront, nor was it maybe appropriate in general, as coach knows, it was a tough time um, looking back for everybody. Um, you know, you fast forward seven years, five to seven years, and we play in the city of Miami um our our team has players that have aunties and sisters that work for the miami police department i'm, I'm very close uh with chief kalina who who now recently retired and um i hear we have the michael jordan of, of chiefs uh and chief acevedo who i've had the pleasure of meeting with who brought me in last week and, and told me steve this was chief kalina's program it's it's our program now i'm with you on it and the fact that we started this as pioneers in September with a trial, with a, with a test pilot. And coach will know this. I, I didn't pitch this as we're doing this, shoving it down uh, the throats of everybody during a pandemic. So let's put our toe in the water. If you don't like this, no harm, no foul. We won't do it. Um, the the response and, and the just the amount of positive feedback that we've received from not only my counterparts, but from different teams around the league saying, how did you do this? And we didn't do anything yet. We started actually last week, we kicked this off. We had our first three training sessions. Um, we're educating, not uh, the tactical, you know, operations of, of law enforcement. You know, we're not a, a police organization, but we play basketball. So what we do is people trust that logo on our shirt. They trust that, that logo on the court. Um, because we're active members of the community. And what this program is, it's not even about law enforcement, which I, I constantly tell people about. This is about human relationships. Wow. We are bringing the community together through the Miami Police Department. So now what this means is that there, there's officers right now that are conflicted. 
you know, working, uh, putting on that uniform. They, they, they have a, a regular traffic stop. That's not your regular traffic stop anymore because our community is upset. Uh, what's happened in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, what's happened all over in, in, in Wisconsin, all over the country is being put on the shoulders of law enforcement everywhere. So if there's a Miami police officer uh, who's working today, I, I feel their pain because it's not fair uh, for, for them to have to go through what everybody's going through. So, so my goal through this program is we haven't been able to bring our players into this just yet because of COVID and because of health and safety protocols. But I constantly talk to players like Coach knows, Udonis Haslam all the time about this. He's called me from the road to see how we're doing on it. You know, I'm talking to our new guys about it that can't wait to jump into it. But in addition to that, is this is a program that we are having a co-branded Miami Heat basketballs in the trunks of police cars. We're having trading cars with, with uh, police officers' names on it. And these police officers are gonna drive through Overtown, Model City, Coconut Grove, with their windows down. This is not about policing. That word policing drives me uh, to, to a place. There's no such thing as policing. Mm -hmm. Law enforcement are members of the community. And my goal as, as a native here and, and using our heat platform and through that police program is bringing this community together. So if there's a four-year-old right now in Overtown that has a, an amazing experience with a, with a police officer, that four-year-old may want to be a police officer uh, down the road. So, so we're in a time right now, it's very fluid, um, like Coach said, with labels and limiting beliefs out there. Um, it, it's not easy. This is not something that, that is easy, but, but I'm proud to, to know that we're doing this again next month. We're doing it uh, uh, once a month through the end of 2021, and we're training 900 patrol officers in the city of Miami that, and Coach knows, these folks have relationships with our players already. So, yeah. so all we're doing is enhancing and coach will know if he could take a training to enhance his personal skills or help his staff, all the coaches will raise their mm -hmm. hand. How can I be better as a person? And that's what we're doing. Great. That's I mean, fantastic. I can't follow that. That's fantastic. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what it's about. I mean, really we've got to get out of this blame thing and this finger pointing and this labeling because Again, you put so many people in a box. Like, I got so many cop friends that it crushes them when they see stuff like this happen. Like, you know, they don't see themselves as police. They see themselves as community service officers, as people of that, you know, I grew up with these dudes. I went to high school with these guys. I, you know, played hoop with them growing up. All of this stuff we've, and so, you know, it's true. It's a big chunk of them that just, they just don't, affiliate with the violence and that whole idea of, of, you know, occupying a neighborhood, which basically is what's happened now in our communities is the African-American community, the, the, the Hispanic community, Latinx community is now an occupied community uh, with them just waiting for something to happen. The fact that George Floyd was killed over a counterfeit $20 bill, that's lurking for a problem like you don't like you know it's nothing like what's like no one is hurt if a 20 dollar bill is you know spent if you just come in and say man i got a right to a ticket you try to spend yeah, no big deal but i can't do everybody's good but immediately it goes from that to death so that's occupation that's when you're really going into you're looking for any little thing to go after somebody um, any little thing to fear to go after somebody. And so um, the ideas that Stowe has brought to the table, that, that the Miami Heat has brought to the table, what they stand for as an organization, um, 
you know, these are healing ideas. These are ideas of reconciliation. These are ideas of, of, of mending wounds and, and, you know, really putting the right people in front of the battle. If we kept, if we keep letting the wrong people represent the sides and they're the small minority of each group, we're all going to go down with them. So we got to get the right people out in front representing the groups, understanding that none of this stuff works separately or individually or in our tribe. It works collectively as a race of people, as a, as human beings, you know, not a race, not, not separate races. Wow. Powerful. Thanks. Let me, let me just kind of bring us home in our remaining time with this. You both just spoke on relationships. Coach, you've, you've, um, weave that throughout, whether it's been getting to know people who are different than you and, and the fact that, but we keep coming back. Now it's Steve talking about um, police getting to know the community and community getting to know the police as people and and the fact that we are all um, people. Let me, let me wrap this by the thing that's kind of been on the edge of this at times. Um, you know, I, I, I think back to this term that it, it, you guys may have heard once or twice, shut up and dribble. Um, <laughs> but, but Coach Dungy was interviewed 15 now, probably 20 years ago, by an owner who said, look, I just want to win. All I want is a coach who's going to spend every waking hour thinking about my team and how to win on Sundays. And Tony said, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. I want my players to be better fathers. I want my players to be role models in the community. I want, and the owner said, that's great. And Tony said, that's fine. It's good to get this out in the interview that we are not a, we're not a match. So to what extent is the mission of the Miami Heat, the Memphis Grizzlies in New York, that wherever you may, you know, you've been, wherever you may end up, to what extent is the mission bigger than wins and losses? I mean, to some extent, I think these clubs are community assets. Whether the owners see it as a toy or not, it, they feel like community assets to me. Is that fair? And is it something bigger that the on-court, the off-court, that there's something where you both as in your different roles uh, are feeding into the same thing that matters, that that's part of something bigger. Well, we're, that's a great question. We're in that situation right now, you know, with everything going on. Um, yeah. A, a lot of fans and everybody look to players to speak or, or not to speak up. And it's not, I think in my opinion, it's not fair sometimes to put a 20 year old in a position or a 21 year old in a position to right. after a game, uh, when as coach knows, uh, you know, you have to be prepared to speak to media, just like we have to be prepared to speak to whoever's listening right now. But it's not fair sometimes uh, to push a 20 year old who's maybe going through, like we said before, a lot of pain. Um, and they have to be hardened athletes and, and, and really be able to play the game that they're trained to play and then have to deal with a lot of the current issues that are going on. They may not be prepared for that. Same thing with coaches. Um, coaching right now in 2021 is different than it was last year. It is different than it was two years ago. And some coaches, you know, do not have the background, do not have the experience in dealing with the community or, or being comfortable in their own skin out of the field or on the court. And that's okay. You know, so what it comes down to here at the heat, you know, that word culture gets tossed around a lot. As coach Fizz knows, he had the heat culture before there was heat culture. Uh, so did I. Um, it, it became heat culture. You know, we, we were part of it. We, we live it whether we're here or not. 
And I think um, family, uh, that word gets tossed around too. You know, a lot of family, you know, sometimes you get in spats with your family or you don't get along with your cousins, or your uncles or things sure. like that, but, but they're family. And, and that's the one thing I think that when, when players come to our team, um, and coach could attest to this, you know, we get each other's backs. There's a lot of sacrifice that, that goes into things. There's a lot of enjoying uh, other success. There's a lot of things that um, aren't fun to do. Um, when I go to work every day, uh, you know, you try to make it where it's not monotonous and it never is because you're doing different things every day under that culture and culture is in you. It's not within the organization. So I think that term and I think uh, when players come to organizations and they feel they have to kind of conform or be a certain way or like you said, uh, only shut up and dribble. It, it, it's not even about that. It's about being comfortable in your own skin. If it's a police program, if it's a Thanksgiving program, if it's just free throws at the end of whatever it is, it's up to that individual. And whoever's watching now, if you're 18, if you're 15, there's everything in you to get better and evolve um, with what's going on. And we're all doing it. This is a prime example. Like I was joking around before coach joined. I, I would never be able to meet Coach Fisdale in Gainesville and, and do something like this. It would be impossible to connect schedules. But the fact that we're able to you know, talk on this platform is very efficient. And and if we could affect one person today or bring a smile or, or make someone just really think about what they're doing with their own lives and how could they better their community, that's what it's really about. I mean, because sports is always going to be there. There's always going to be one team that wins a championship. But the reality is it's all about each and every individual making themselves better. Because if not, we're still going to have these things going on, with whether it's law enforcement racial tension is always going to happen. It, it's not going to, there's no answer to this stuff. We have a great program. That's not the solution. We're just trying to, you know, help and, and try to bring people together through our platform. That's it. But there really isn't a solution. And it, and it really starts through everybody individually. You know, I think uh, the, the Miami Heat are unique. I mean, it's just a unique, beautiful situation where you're, you're, inner values what you truly stand for as a human being the, the 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 good the deep good of a human being is woven into their everyday operational values so as a player going to the miami heat or a coach coming into the miami heat a front office person coming into miami heat there's not these these people. Some people outside of it looks like it like restrictions, rules, blah 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 blah. Culture, culture, culture. Really, what it is is it's an environment that the 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 totality of the collective, the people, come first before the individual, and that same attitude is what they project into their community. Is that the community comes before us? The community comes before the heat. The community is bigger than all of us. And if that's woven into your the fabric of your organization, when you're a player coming into that, it 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 it, it really gives you a freedom to now be able to express yourself in a positive way, knowing that I won't get caught up in the the Colin Kaepernick situation where I'm out here kneeling and nobody's nobody's covering my back. I'm just on the island, right? You know when you're with the heat that come one, come all, and they are bringing the full force of the organization at an issue, especially when it's, when it's a, a, an issue of humanity. And so 
me being a guy who left to journey on to be a head coach and try to recreate something similar, that was always my premise in, in the, the creation of my culture was the people. Is the organization bigger than the individual? Is the community bigger than the organization? Et cetera, et cetera. And can I teach that? Can I weave it into the, the organization? Can I make that a, a pillar of what we stand for? The hard part is, can you do that and win enough games to really get it into the, the blood of people, get it into the hooks, really get it into the, the life of people? And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. But like Stowe just said, I take great joy in getting that one person that came up to me that I met in Memphis or never met in Memphis that said, man, what you did helping get rid of those statues, you know, to know that I don't ever have to walk my kids in that park and see those statues again, that that really meant a lot to me for you to put yourself on the line. That alone is worth every ounce of, you know, the risk that you take as a coach, putting your name on the line, all of it. So, I went back every time and every time after this, I will always go into it trying to build an environment where the people in the building is what matters the most. The people that live in that building, that come into that building on game nights, that's what's first and everything else is secondary. Amen. Coach, Steve, thanks so much for your time. You know, it's it it comes to mind as you guys were talking. I mean, we we've we've got rings, we win games, the fans are excited when we win games. But the things that that really come back to people are those touches where people say, gosh, I really remember when X player came and spoke to my elementary school. I really right. remember when. I mean, it's those intersections where you build into people's lives and we all want to win. But like you said, there is something I think that a lot of organizations miss that clearly the Miami Heat have figured out that there there's something bigger out there that we can all yep. build into. And certainly in this day and age. I could do this all day. <laughs> fear that our time is short, though. So on behalf of the University of Florida, the Health and Human Performance Department, the Department of Sports Management, the Wasden Speaker Series, and all the alumni, friends, fans, and the like, thank you so much for your time, and thank you so much for your thoughtfulness and being a part of this, and God bless both of you as you move forward. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you both.